JD and uh, the worship team for leading us in worship. <clears throat> Isn't it awesome that the truth of that last song is true, is that God is our way maker, promise keeper, the light in the darkness, and he is our God. He's the miracle worker, that's right. Isn't that awesome? Because that is the God that we worship. That is who he is. And that's, that's what that song says, and I, I love that song. I love those lyrics of that song. Uh, but we're continuing in our sermon series called Not So Average Joe. Uh, over the past few weeks, Pastor Matt has gave us some uh, background on who this Not So Average Joe is. Uh, this Not So Average Joe is the 11th son of Jacob. And we learned that Joe's family was actually not as clean cut and perfect as we sometimes think families in the Bibles should be. This family was actually pretty messy. This family had to deal with a lot of stuff. But you know what's amazing, though? Even though this family was full of drama and unhealthy problems, God still chose this family as his most valued treasure and used them as a massive blessing to the world. Like, that's, that's what happens with this family. So for this sermon series, we start at the end of the story, right? In Genesis 50, 20, which says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. <clears throat> which brings us to the main point of this entire series. Uh, and I want it to really sink into your hearts. And that's this, is God can take your situation and your life circumstances and use it for good, even if we can't see it. This week, we'll be continuing in that theme in Genesis 37, 12 to 36. So turn with me to Genesis 37, 12 to 36. I'm going to do that myself as well. <laughs> Let me, uh, when you get there, I'm going to pray for us and we'll dig into this text. God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, thank you so much for being a God that uh, moves in and through our lives, even when we can't see it. Because the fact is, is you're working uh, even when we can't see, even when we don't feel it. And you're a God that's moving all of this together for your good, for our good, and your glory. And so God, I pray that as we hear your word today, that you would speak to us, that you open up our hearts to receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Genesis 37, 12 to 36. So what's going on here? So I'm going to give us a little bit of a summary, and then I'm going to give us the points at the end. So here, starting in verse 12, the story of Joseph and his brothers continue. We start with the narrator explaining to us that Joseph's brother, brothers were taking care of their father's sheep near Sechem. And then Jacob, or Israel, the text says, same name, told Joseph to go and see how his brothers are doing and report back to him. Now, remember, this was something that Joseph did normally. This was not outside of his normal activities. Actually, his brothers kind of hated him for doing that because he would tell, him, tell his dad exactly what they did wrong, right? But this time, he asked him to go to Sitchim. Uh, and this was honestly not a great move because a lot of times when we read a text, right, we see that, oh, it just says another location. But this location was not as close as we think it is. This location is actually about 50 miles away from, jo uh, from, uh, from his father. So he asked Joseph to go on his own to see his brothers 50 miles away. Now today, that seems like not a big deal, right? 50 miles, oh, I can get there in 45 minutes in my car. But that's not true of the Old Testament. See, they didn't have cars yet. 
they maybe had a donkey or a horse, but this trip would have taken him at least five days. It's about 10 miles a day. That's, a, that's about like the average how much you could travel. And so honestly, this wasn't a great move. And it wasn't also a great move because Joseph's brothers, as we've seen in the text before, right? Joseph's brothers already were jealous of him and hated him. But the fact remains is all this is still dad's property and dad wanted to know how the brothers are doing, you know? And in that culture, when dad asks you to do something, you do it. You know, there's no second guessing what dad asked you to do. And so quick reminder, right? Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. The reason that Joseph was the favorite son is because Joseph was the only son born of his favorite wife, Rachel. You guys seeing a a, a pattern of a problem here? (laughs) The family dynamics in Jacob's family was pretty bad. Jacob's favoritism was so bad that he made Joseph an expensive coat of many colors, which at the time, today, like we have that all the time, right? I'm wearing three different colors. Most of you are wearing different colors. But at that time, multiple colored shirts and multiple colored clothing was expensive because dyes were expensive because the techniques to weave these all together was expensive. So it was a big deal that he gave his youngest son the most expensive coat ever. Now, even though Joseph might have been a bit of a knucklehead, right? Pastor Matt talked about it these past two weeks that Joseph might have said some things that he shouldn't have said, probably stuff that he probably should have kept to himself, but he felt like, oh man, I'm gonna tell my brothers, y'all gonna bow to me. You know, like that's real great for brothers who are already like totally jealous and hating you because you're your daddy's favorite. But he, you know, but he wanted, he wanted to be a good son. And so he goes and follows, follows after what his dad told him to do, was to go and check in on your brothers to see how they're doing. And so Joseph checks the 50 miles to Sitchim. Uh, but there was a problem, right? The text shows us that what happens is uh, Joseph kind of gets a little lost because he gets to Sitchim and he's like, oh no, my brothers are not here. What do I do? And so like we see that in the text, it says that he then follows, then he's, you see that he comes upon, comes upon this guy, right? And this guy's like, he's like, hey, have you seen my brothers? He's like, this is a random dude. And like, how would this guy know? And, he's, and actually, what's funny is, this guy actually knows. He's like, actually, I did hear of this group of dudes that went to uh, Doshan. Uh, and uh, it's about 15 miles away. And so Joseph ha- had to go another 15 miles. So he went 50 to get to Sitchim, and now he had to go another 15, which is about another day and a half's worth of a journey, right? <clears throat> but he went. And then you see in the text in verse 18 that there's a point of view. The point of, the view, the point of view of the story changes. Uh, while Joseph was still far away, his brothers noticed him and made plans to kill him and <laughs> throw him into a pit. But one of the eldest brothers, uh, the, one of the brothers, the eldest, Reuben, didn't want to kill Joseph uh, because he saw an opportunity. Uh, you see, this is something that uh, you see back in Genesis 35:22. The narrator told us that Reuben actually slept with his father's concubine. It's a little awkward, isn't it? That's, some, that's not cool. And as a result of doing that to his dad and his, and his dad's uh, concubine, he lost his birthright. And so... With this whole situation, Reuben actually saw an opportunity to regain favor with his dad. Because if he, you know, like his 
brothers kind of are going to attack him and try to kill him. And then if Reuben comes in, steps in at the last minute and says, I'm here to save you. Of course, Joseph's going to go back to dad and say, dad, you won't believe this. Nine of the 10 brothers tried to kill me, but this one Reuben saved me. He was hoping at that moment that Reuben, that, uh, Joseph, uh, that Jacob would finally be like, oh, Reuben, man, you saved my favorite son. Maybe I'll return to you your birthright, or maybe I will love you, you know? He was hoping for that to happen. So Reuben convinced his brothers to not kill Joseph, but simply just jump him, strip him of his clothes, and throw him in a pit, and then he can come back later to save, uh, save him so that, you know, dad would love him again. Uh, I know, this, is, this story is dramatic. It's like you talk about soap opera, this is... This is pretty huge. Uh, now, when Joseph finally finds his brothers, though, to his surprise, his brothers didn't just say, hey, welcome, grab a, grab a bite to eat, thank you for coming out. Instead, his brothers jump him, strip him of his robe, and throws him into an empty pit with no water. That's messed up. This story hasn't gotten any better. It keeps getting worse. Dude had traveled for 65 miles nonstop on foot only to not get rest, but instead get beaten up by his brothers and thrown into a pit with no water. Not cool. Not cool at all. And then in verse 25, you have this happen, right? (laughs) It's funny because it just says this. Then Then they sat down, the brothers, they sat down and ate, sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan. And while they were eating, right, this group of Ishmaelites come uh, who are on their way to Egypt, who are traitors. And then Judah has this great idea. He's like, you know what? If we kill him, we get nothing out of this. But I got a great idea. What if we instead sell him? Because then we can have money and our brother is gone. That sounds like a great idea, right? No. <laughs> anyway, so they, they decide to sell their brother to the Ishmaelites. And, you know, and for how much? For 20 shekels of silver, which, if you do the math, it's about eight ounces or 220 grams for those of you, use that, for those of you that like the metric system, which uh, all of this probably doesn't mean anything yet until I tell you it's worth about $150. So they sold their baby brother for $150. This family. But apparently, we find that not everybody agreed with that arrangement. Because you see, Reuben was, you know, hiding away when this all happened. So he can come in and be like, ha ha, I'm here to rescue you. But Reuben comes in, he's like, ha ha, I'm here to, whoa, the pit's empty. And then it says that, and the text is really funny. Well, the text says that he, uh, verse 29, when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone and I, where shall I go? His priorities are completely correct there. Right? And the, what happens after that is that the brothers decided to take Joseph's robe Kill a goat. You know, remember, they're supposed to be watching these, these, these sheep, these flocks, right? But they, here we see they kill a goat instead and dip the robe in the goat's blood and send it to their father to report that Joseph was killed by some wild beast on his way to visit the brothers. And this led to Jacob mourning deeply for the loss of his favorite son. And the text tells us that he 
was in so much pain and mourning that he refused to be comforted by anyone. Jacob had completely lost his favorite son. And then in the text, this little bit of, little bit of, it seems kind of disjunct, but we'll bring it all together in the end there, is that, and finally, in verse 36, we see the text says that Joseph was sold to Potiphar, the captain of, a guard, of the guard, an officer of Pharaoh. And uh, next week, Micah will talk a little bit more about that. But as we continue, right, this is a crazy story. This is a very dysfunctional family. This is, man, this is, this whole situation is, is pretty messed up on multiple levels. Multiple levels of betrayal, multiple levels of, of offense, multiple levels of just everything. Everything about the story is terrible, right? You have these 10 brothers who hated their baby brother so much that they were willing to kill him. That's where they were. But the situation is not completely their own fault. You see, because Jacob, their father, had fostered this behavior, which he also learned from his parents. You know, so Jacob's parents are Isaac and Rebekah. Jacob's parents played favorites with their children. See, Jacob had a brother named Esau, and Isaac loved Esau. Rachel, oh, Rebecca, sorry. Rebecca loved Jacob. And then what happened? Rebecca got Isaac to steal all of Esau's blessing and birthrights. You, as a result, we have this massive broken relationship between Jacob and Esau, which led to Jacob stealing the birthright and blessing from his older brother. And after running for his life, Jacob, what happens? Ends up marrying two sisters, and then he favors one over the other. Now, Joseph is the only son of his favored wife, which is why Joseph is the favored son, which brings us to the situation we have here. I know I'm not a parent yet, you know, but hear me that the biblical principle still stands, which is problems arise when you don't affirm and love all your children well. Here you have 10 brothers who feel like their father never truly loved them, and because of that, they became hatefully resentful and jealous of Joseph. They were so jealous that they wanted to kill their brother, their own flesh and blood. This situation just doesn't happen because an opportunity of a couple of because of an opportunity that arose and because Jacob had, uh, Joseph had a bunch of awkward dreams about everybody bowing down to him this happened because of a long series of choices that Jacob had made that led his brothers that led his sons to try to kill one of their own which is our first point parents love and affirm all your children well this whole situation happened because their father clearly showed favoritism to Joseph. This could have been avoided if Jacob loved and affirmed all his children well. This could have been avoided. So what do I mean by loving and affirming your children well? What does that mean? It means affirming and loving your children the way they feel affirmed and loved. Have y'all heard of uh, Gary Chapman? 
He's a really famous author uh, who wrote uh, a book called The Five Love Languages. At one point, it was a New York Times bestseller. Uh, this book, he talks about how in order for a marriage to last, a couple must fill each other's love tank. The main problem is when you don't fill the love tank with the right substance. And Chaplin identified uh, five love languages. That's the famous stuff that he, he uh, that's his claim to fame, right? So you have five. The first one is acts of service, physical touch, quality time, words of affirmation, and giving gifts. The same principle applies to your children. They also have a love tank, and they also receive love differently. In order to rightly love and affirm all your children well, you need to know what fills each child's love tank. If all you do is give them gifts when they want to spend time with you, they won't feel your love. Have you ever tried putting diesel fuel in your regular car? They tell me that'll mess up your car. They tell me that it's very expensive, even if diesel sometimes it used to be. It used to be that diesel, diesel gas was cheaper than regular gas, you know. But it would be more expensive if you put it in your regular car. Putting the wrong gas in a car will inevitably damage the car. I'm not saying, though, that you will ruin your children if you show the wrong love language. But if, you, if, you, if your child really feels loved when you give words of affirmation, then it is loving for you to affirm them in that way, even if it's not your preferred way of expressing love. This is a way that you can show your, chi- your children the self-sacrificial love of Christ. Because everybody's different, and the way they perceive the world is different. And so the way we love, the way that we need to love our children must be that way. Because this whole mess happens because of the way Jacob treated his children in the way that his father treated his children, in the way that his father treated. All of this happened because of that. But scripture is very clear that we need to love and affirm all of our children. Uh, if you are not sure what your children's love language are, is or what they are a combination of, because that can happen too, is, uh, it's really cool because this guy like, has a website. It's called uh, fivelovelanguages.com. And you can take their test and get a better idea of what your children's love language is. It's very important to know. So parents, love and affirm all your children. They need it. Now, continuing on to the next point. Now, just like Joseph's story, our story includes unexpected turns too. Or if it hasn't, it will. So here's the second point. Your life will include unexpected turns. Up until this moment, Joseph's life was going pretty well. He was the favorite son, right? He got privileges his brothers didn't have. He didn't have to do the same type of work that his brothers had to do. But as we see in this text, he loses everything. He loses his family, his security, and his comfort. Joseph didn't wake up one morning and think, oh, I'm going to sell myself to slavery today. That wasn't his thought. He went to find his brothers thinking he was just doing his routine thing that he did for his dad. But that's not how his day ended, or his week in this case. And sometimes we find ourselves in situations that we don't expect. And so back in in the 1950s, uh, my grandpa was an official of the Republic of China. 
And so for those, this is a little confusing because if you look on Google, there's the People's Republic of China and the Republic of China. What's the difference? People's Republic of China is uh, the communist regime, and the Republic of China is Taiwan, or is the, is the uh, dem dem democracy one. And so he was an official in the Republic of China. Uh, he had a pretty sweet gig. You know, he was, he was an official, he was well-known, people loved him, uh, he and his family were well off, you know? But, as we know history, the Republic of China was losing the war against the Communist Party. Mao Zedong and his troops were taking over bit by bit. And as a result, my family had to flee the country. And while they were evacuating China, uh, my grandmother told my grandpa that she felt like they should go to Hong Kong instead of evacuating to Taiwan with everyone else. You know? Uh, but my grandpa argued that if we go to Hong Kong, we have no resources, we have no connections, we don't have anyone to, to really get to know. We would go there and be broke and poor. If we go to Hong Kong, that's, that's all we've got. But <laughs> grandma insisted and said that he can go to Taiwan, but we are going to go to Hong Kong. <laughs> so they all went to Hong Kong, you know? Now, in God's sovereignty... It turns out that the boat that was, bought, that was bound for Taiwan that my, my grandparents were trying to get onto got intercepted by the Communist Party. And like Communist Party, like such, they disappeared. Life has unexpected turns. Unexpected. You might not know what God will use your current circumstances, but know that God will use that mess, the mess that you are in, for something else. That's the truth of the gospel there, that God will use your circumstance and situation. Because you see, what's, uh, what's, which leads to my third point, which is God doesn't waste our broken situations. God doesn't waste our broken situations. The story of Joseph doesn't end with this chapter. Rather, this, is, this chapter is only the beginning of what God will do through Joseph. But at that time, Joseph didn't know that. In the same way, God uses our stories for our good and his glory. This world is broken. Relationships, people, creation, all are broken. But the beautiful thing is that God chooses to work through that brokenness to show us his love. You might be going through some dark times right now. And it looks like there's no way out that life is over. But know this, in Christ, God has a plan of redemption for your life. God will use all of your current situation to show how he can take the worst of circumstances and redeem it. So going back to the story of my grandparents, first off, my grand, first of all, my grandparents did uh, if my grandparents didn't go to Hong Kong, my parents would never have met. And I wouldn't be here today. So you're welcome. Uh, but on a more serious note, God used my grandparents' oldest son, uh, my uncle number one, to reach Hong Kong and Macau with the gospel. You see, the impact he makes, I still don't know all the stories of my grandpa yet. I mean, my grandpa, my uncle yet. 
Uh, but I know that he has been a huge influence in the churches in, in Asia, you know, in Hong Kong and Macau, and you can fill in the blank. This is the truth of God's people. It's because they were in a, they were in a, a pretty bad situation. They had, they had everything set up for them. And then in an instant, they lost it all. And they had to restart. And I forgot to mention, do you know how many kids my grandparents had? Nine. Nine. Yeah, I, I didn't, nine. You know? Like most of us are like maybe four, maybe. They had, grandma had nine kids. Broke and in Hong Kong. But God redeemed it. God used them. God used my family to do awesome things through the gospel. This is a, this is a, but this isn't just unique to me. This is the story of the people of God. Is that God takes broken and messed up situations, redeems them, and uses it for his glory and our good. That's the story of the gospel. That's the story of, of scripture. This is the truth of God's people. God has a plan for your life. No matter how broken your current situation is. You know, in this moment, Joseph probably thought his life was over. And this was the end of his story. He probably thought, this is it. I know nothing else. All I know is right now, my, I'm getting sent to Egypt and I'm going to be a slave and then I'm going to die. At that moment, that was probably what he was thinking. That life can't get any worse. He was far away from home, completely betrayed, hungry, distraught. But this is not how his story ends. He doesn't yet know that God will use this messed up situation to save him and his family from the brink of extinction. I don't know where all of you are or all of your life's situations right now. For some of you, I do because we've talked and we're, we're in that relationship. But your life may look pretty bleak right now or maybe fine, but not what you expected at your age, Right? Or maybe you feel like you're in a period of waiting to see what you're supposed to do with your life. But know this, know this, that, all, that at all times you can trust that God is working his plan through every season. Even if you don't see it. Ultimately, we can trust Christ because of what he has done for us on the cross. To redeem us from our sin. Because more than almost 2,000 years ago, God became flesh and redeemed what was never redeemable, death, by dying for us. And then after three days, raising from the dead, destroying the finality of death so that all who turn from their sin and put their faith in Jesus will be saved. God is in the business of using our stories and making them narratives of his grace and love. For those of us who are in Christ, we know how our story ends. Our story ends with Christ seated at the right hand of God. Revelation 21.4 says this, he, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. God won't 
waste your current situation. God won't waste your current situation. It is guaranteed that your circumstance is woven into the greater story of what God is doing. It is guaranteed. Because you see, in more than 4,000 years of written history, God has been faithful and has continued to be faithful. He hasn't failed yet. And God is using your story. Whatever your story may be, God is using it. How do we know that? Because he put that down payment on it through Jesus Christ. And he's using your story and redeeming it no matter what your background is. Whatever your situation is, whatever your circumstance, our God is bigger than it. And like that song we sang, Waymaker, there's a part that says, even when I don't feel it, even when I don't see it, you're working. God is working. He is working and he's holding everything together. You can trust him. He hasn't failed yet. Christian, today you might be needing to be reminded that you need to trust in Jesus in the midst of your circumstance and situation. Your life might not look the way you want it to, but God has a plan for your life. That is true. Scripture says that is true. Non-believer, God also has a plan for your life. He has a plan for your life to come to know him. So today, won't you come? Won't you come and put your trust in him today? Because you see, it doesn't matter what your baggage is. Jesus said, I will take it. And you know what? He took it. And he said, I love you. I know your situation. You say, well, God doesn't know me. The thing is, he knows you. He knows exactly who you are. But he still says this. He still says, I love you. He still says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. That is what he says. So today, I don't know which side, of, which side of that you're on, but won't you come? Won't you come and trust in Jesus today? He's worth it because he hasn't failed yet. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much that you are a God that can work in and through every situation and every circumstance. That it is, it is amazing to see how we're reading from the book of Genesis. This is the first book of the Bible that you have not strayed from what you do since then. You have never, you have never strayed from that. Help us to trust you even when we don't see it, even when we can't feel it. Help us to trust that you are working. Help us to trust that in the midst of all circumstances that you are with us. Help us, God. As we continue to run after you, help us to seek and find you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.